Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff. Tonight we're going to talk about a couple of different things. First of all, here at the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff, we like to take issues of the day and basically align them with what what we're calling environmental crimes or environmental injustice. So tonight we're going to talk about a place called St. James Parish, Louisiana. It's also known as Cancer Alley, and it has an abnormally epidemic rate of cancer along the region and just coincides to have massive industrial pollution. There's been zero accountability for the public. And the fact that St. James Parish is a predominantly a community of color only makes the matters worse. Uh, again, these communities of color are viewed as, I guess, acceptable collateral damage, but we don't view that that way here at the Environmental Justice Report. And then we're going to talk about something called ISDS, which is a legal contrivance created by what I call the Multinational Trade Agreement Industry. It stands for Investor Settlement Dispute Resolution. It's an arbitration court, but it's been given abnormal power and illegitimate power. So let's start. The Intercept recently published a piece titled, quote, if we don't act now, the entire U.S. could become a cancer alley. And this was also published in Truthout. And it deals, as I said before, with an area of Louisiana also known as Cancer Alley. And again, due to the abnormally large number of cancer cases, far beyond what's usually reflected in nature, they're what epidemiologists refer to as incidence levels. So I'm going to give you a little background here. Epidemiologists are the kinds of scientists and doctors that track how much of a phenomena occurs, including normally disease. So what are these incidence levels? Well, they represent the average number of occurrences regarding any phenomena seen in nature. Trends mirror what has been commonly known as the normal curve. Now, incidence levels should mirror majority trends with anomalies or abnormalities in a minority of instances at either end of the curve. Think of incidence levels as the grading system for diseases. When there's a skewing or an abnormally large number of cases, you pretty much have to look at other factors. When you're looking at diseases such as cancer or any other autoimmune condition, which requires some outside triggering usually, a triggering event, a.k.a. a carcinogenic substance, then we have to investigate what man, or in this instance, what industrial development has done to exacerbate the issue. Now, Cancer Alley in Louisiana is a perfect example of this situation. As we reported in earlier shows on EJR, the epidemic of multiple cancers along this region coincides with massive industrial pollution. There's been, as I said before, zero accountability for the public regarding the situation. In fact, as the people who live in Cancer Alley are forced to coexist alongside massive quantities of proven carcinogens improperly stored and frequently illegally dumped, They have to deal with the insult of politicians who permit this wholesale poisoning of this community while passing laws written by corporate lobbyists that criminalize any dissent. Now, the laws to be discussed in this report include the local and state laws devised and ghostwritten by ALEC. We're not going to go into that in any depth. Just suffice to say that ALEC, which is an acronym for the American Legislative Exchange Council, has ghostwritten many bills all across the nation that basically skewer, they they benefit the rich and corporate. And one of the areas they've been really focused on has been criminalizing 
what should be protected First Amendment activity. Not only do they criminalize, they write these bills that criminalize protests, and we talked about this on the show in earlier episodes, but often to the level of a felony. So they take these, these issues such as that would be considered misdemeanors, such as when we talked about the Kings Bay 7 the, last week. You know, they spray-painted graffiti on a naval base because they were anti-nuclear activists, and they read an indictment. And for this, what should have been a misdemeanor, they're facing felony charges and a 20-year or 25-year jail sentence. This is all courtesy of a group such as ALEC, who ghost, basically ghost-wrote the law. And, again, we're going to talk about them in another show, but just so you understand this. And so this, they've, they've written larger pseudo-laws, and they've been written and accepted by multiple presidential administrations that allow foreign corporations, the, so this is, we're talking about now the ISDS, the right to sue any government for actual or expected profit loss. So this is the ISDS um, regimen. So backtrack a little bit because I don't think I was quite clear. We have a group like Alex who goes rights to law, American Legislative Exchange Council, and they wrote a bunch of bills that criminalized protest and other protected First Amendment activity. Then they made it worse because they made what should have been mild misdemeanor offenses into felonies with long jail sentences. Then when you add to it, this ISDS regimen that actually has been in existence for almost 50 years, I didn't realize that, then that ISDS allows foreign corporations the right to sue any government for actual or expected profit loss. And that includes penalizing communities who pass laws forbidding the dumping of known toxics and known carcinogens into our air, water, and food chain. This is the ultimate environmental crime against humanity and its name the name of what protects it, once again, is ISDS, or Investor State Dispute Resolution. And ISDS represents a system of what has been dubbed red carpet courts, okay? These are courts that protect billionaire class and the corporations that they run. But first, we're going to talk about Cancer Alley and the local and state laws that criminalize dissent to the level of a legally unjustified felony. Then we'll discuss ISDS for the remainder of the time before we get to our environmental heroes or zeros, and how this process directly impacts the residents of Cancer Alley. So Sharon Levine wrote this, and I stand corrected, it was actually in truth out. And Sharon Levine is the founder and president of Rise St. James, and that's a grassroots faith-based organization, and their work, they're dedicated to opposing the siting of new petrochemicals in their area, St. James Parish in Louisiana, basically out of concern regarding the fact that it is Cancer Alley. So, and the, the article's titled, If We Don't Act Now, the Entire U.S. Could Become a Cancer Alley. And as I've stated before on this show, communities of color, especially the black community, is the political canary in the coal mine. Remember the canary in the coal mine? Basically, the miners took a little canary, put it in a cage, an open-air cage, sent it down, into the, in the, down the coal shaft. If the bird came back live, they knew there was oxygen, they could proceed. If the bird came back dead, they knew better. It was an early warning system, and that's what communities of color are politically here. So this was published last week, and Levine's talking about St. James Parish, Louisiana, where she's from, predominantly black, low income, and it's nicknamed Cancer Alley. And the fact is there's a new plastics complex, 
and it wants to build more. Okay, St. James, uh, St. James Parish is home to, like I think it's like 40 petrochemical and plastics. I mean, quite a few uh, plants there. And they do, according to ProPublica, they have the country's highest concentration of chemical plants and refineries. I stand, I stand corrected. Um, in fact, presidential nominee Joe Biden in this article did mention St. James Parish in his clean energy speech. Um, they have the highest cancer rates, and this is according to, well, it's been documented. Um, they have the worst, partic- according to Sierra Club, they have the worst particulate pollution and one of the highest mortality rates per capita from COVID. And this line is really very telling. I, I wish I had written it. Sharon Levine said it so succinctly and so powerfully. Quote, for those of us living here, it's not just Cancer Alley, it's death row. End quote. And she's right. So the standout rates of illness and death has been going on for 40 years now. Now, there's a foreign company. Taiwan-based Formosa Plastics Company, which ironically we've mentioned on a previous show, they were able to start with a grant from the U.S. government back like 40-something years ago. And they want to, um, they want to, they have a new project, and they want to build, they call it the Sunshine Project. Uh, you, at least they have a sense of humor or irony, I don't know which. And it's going to be a giant 9.4 billion 14 plant complex, the New York Daily News. Um, and they want, it's one, it would be one of the largest plastic plants in the world on oh, like 2,500 acres in St. James Parish. Um, keep in mind, according to Bloomberg, this new project was too, too, considered too polluting to be housed in their home of Taiwan, where they're from. That says a lot right there. Now, this is also the Nerdles company, all right? We had some other activists in Texas, and apparently Formosa dumped these enormous amounts of plastic pellets into the Gulf of Mexico. These little plastic pellets are called Nerdles. And the company paid the largest fine of any suit, any industrial um, polluter brought by a private citizen in the U.S., that was according to PRI. These particular protesters, they dumped some a box of nurdles on, I think it was the CEO's, um, or one of the executives did his, his front door. And for that, they were charged with a felony. So that's where the whole, uh, you know, misdemeanor turned into felony, courtesy of Alec, comes into play. Okay. And this plant would not only more than double the area's heavy toxic air pollution according to the smog blog but it would also more than triple exposure according to ProPublica to cancer causing chemicals and uh, according to Earth Justice it would emit more ethylene oxide which is also a, a carcinogen than anywhere else in the U.S. and it would discharge more waste into the St. James Canal and the Mississippi River. But the Formosa project is part of a larger push to expand plastics. You have to remember something. Plastics, a lot of people don't realize this, are actually petroleum-based. That's what they're actually made from. And as demand for fossil fuel falls in other areas, the industry is hoping to make up their, their profits by pushing plastics. And they do cover up the truth, okay? There's a documentary, for, a documentary film called The Story of Plastic. 
um, and where this guy named Ronnie Hambrick worked at the Formosa Plastics Plant in Texas. He quoted saying, quote, I've, I worked 25 years at the plant as a supervisor, but I had to get out of there because I got tired of the bull crap lying for them because that's all you do out there at that plant is lie, end quote, end quote. Um, plastics execs are also using COVID as an excuse to increase production, and it's a pack of lies. And this was according to Newsweek. Um, they were claiming that we have, here in the U.S., we have more need for single-use plastic to ensure that, you know, they have whatever equipment they need during COVID. But there were several experts that refuted this, and they te- and according to um, Tulane Education, Edu News, Environmental Law Clinic, um, they testified that petroleum and chemical plants are actually making COVID worse, and that they actually help to destroy African-American communities by the, into the air and the water. And, uh, you know, basically Monique Hardin, who is the Assistant Director of Law and Policy at the Deep South Center for Environmental Justice, is quoted as saying, quote, what's left are the grave sites of these communities. And over these grave sites, the towering smokestacks, storage tanks, and processing units of petrochemical communities. So, and it ties into, because part of the land they want to use for this enormous plastics plant is also going to mow down over um, one African-American graveyard dating back from around 1877. So, and then she goes into this author into the Juneteenth arrest, uh, the Nurdles felonies. And this ties in again, as I said at the beginning of the program, to what Alec did in terms of not only criminalizing Um, dissent, but also taking what should be just misdemeanors into felonies. So on Juneteenth, which is the day that, you know, commemorates emancipation from slavery here, members of Rye St. James, um, they wanted to honor their ancestors. Um, But there were two activists, according to Earth Justice, from the community group called Louisiana Bucket Brigade, and they, Formosa and local officials charged these two uh, individuals with terrorizing. And their crime was, as I said before, they left a box of nurdles, these little plastic pellets that Formosa had dumped on the lawn, uh, that Formosa had illegally dumped, and they left the box of nurdles on the lawn, I stand correct, of an industry lobbyist in December 2019. And these activists are facing possible jail sentences of up to 15 years. That's ludicrous. So, you know, she goes on with this article and she points out the fact that the fight in Cancer Alley is really the whole country's fight. You know, the plastic industry plans for more plants and Trump's EPA has collaborated with this mass poisoning, okay? They're planting hundreds of new plants in the U.S. and all over the world. And the Trump administration rolled back protections according to, let's see, the Hill. Yeah, one minute. Yeah, the Hill policy. Um, they rolled back protections and any disclosure requirements in the NEPA agreement, and that was really just the idea is just to cover things up so it's harder to fight. You know, if you don't know what's there, it's hard, it's hard to, you know, try and fight it. So their cancer rates are among the highest in the country, and, you know, Sharon Levine has really done a great uh, public service writing this. So, you know, God bless her, and she's right. For them, it is death row. 
and it could be for all of us if we don't stop this. So now I'm going to reference another report, and I know there's, there's another report called Polluter's Paradise that was pushed by ProPublica. But there's an earlier report dating back to 2015 that's also called Polluter's Paradise, and it's a report by the Transnational Institute, and it deals with those same multilateral trade agreements. Formosa is going to probably win because they're going to eventually just set aside the law by taking this challenge to this tribunal through ISDS because the U.S. signed trade treaties. So ISDS and this is how the, both the Democrats and Republicans from multiple administrations cooperated with this unilateral surrender of our human rights to what I'll call corporate, corporate carpetbaggers. So the Transnational Institute, or TNI, in conjunction with Corporate Europe Observatory, or CEO, produces paper titled Polluter's Paradise. Okay? Um, and from the Transnational Institute, or TNI, long read section. So there was a article published by Alexander Bunder and Gidos Mast in 2019. It's titled, As the World Meets to Discuss ISDS, Many Fear Meaningless Reforms. Keep in mind, ISDS is a legal contrivance. All right? It was created in these multinational or multilateral trade deals. Um, it does not reflect any true rule of law. And it allows multinational or foreign corporations to sue other governments for billions and they can sue they can claim that basically they they lost profits they can even sue alleging that they that they think they're going to lose profits and not actually have to prove any true loss and isds is basically you face an arbitration um, tribunal three arbitration lawyers many of whom are paid by the same industries that they allegedly judge, okay? And the only winners in this situation are the law firms that participate in this legal fraud. It's really that simple. So basically, they talk about ISDS. It's in more than 3,000 investment treaties. And I'll say it again. It gives corporations, foreign corporations, the right to sue national governments or state or local governments through arbitration. They go, they totally bypass the judicial system. So if you think, oh, wow, you have to go through the, the local, the state courts, the, the federal court, and then the Supreme Court, wrong, never goes in. And now there's some non-government organizations and academics that are starting to scream foul, okay? Um, Canadian professor Gus Van Harten has criticized ISDS very, very much. He says, quote, big corporations and the super rich, along with the arbitration industry, the lawyers who argue ISDS cases, are by far the main beneficiaries of ISDS. The reason I'm bringing this up is because with the Formosa plant, I know what they're going to do. If the Trump administration, or let's say if Biden wins, and his administration says, no, Formosa, you can't do that, they're going to go straight to one of these ISDS arbitration tribunals. That's what's going to happen. And they will be allowed to set aside the, the local laws in St. James Parish, the state laws in Louisiana, and the federal law here in the U.S. So there was some issue. They were trying to come up with some reform, but you, you can't reform something that's inherently illegitimate. Um, 
But here, let's give you a little background. So former South African President Nelson Mandela, he had no idea that when he signed some earlier bilateral investment treaties with Italy, Belgium, and Luxembourg in 97-98, that those actions would somehow impede or interfere with any future anti-apartheid policy, but they did. When Mandela's successor, Thabo Mbeki, came into office, he wanted to deal with, Mbeki wanted to deal with the economic disparity uh, between blacks and whites in South Africa. Now, Mbeki was drafting new mining legislation, and the idea was to revise previous concessions given to mining companies, and then to guarantee that 26% of mining shares in those companies would be black-owned, it would be black shareholders. And the law was to apply to all companies. It didn't matter what the country of origin was. However, four mining companies um, protested, and they said, you know, they brought into the, they brought into the argument idea. Look, we si- we signed these treaties, and they have ISDS clauses. So, according to South African lawyer Jason Brickhill, and this was as published in the Guardian. Um, South Africa had enacted the treaties at the time with no real understanding of what these clauses contain. Again, ISDS, Investor State Dispute Settlement, okay? It's been around, it first appeared in 1968, and it was in an investment treaty between Netherlands and Indonesia. Um, the instrument, as I said, gives corporations the option to sue national governments if they find that their rights as investors are being violated. Here's another, here's what happened. Italian mining corporation Foresti has sued the South African government of Mbeki on the anti-apartheid laws. And this was in 2007, and Foresti Corporation demanded $375 million in compensation. This is according to Investment Policy Hub um, during this ISDS suit against South Africa. And they claimed they, they were due the compensation, quote, on the grounds of unlawful expropriation, end quote. And Foresti, there's basically it was they they won, but not in court. What happened was Mbeki backed down and gave them an exe- an exception. So Foresti ex- and the other companies would still have to do the 26 percent, but Foresti only required. I mean, I'm sorry, Mbeki only required Foresti Corp to transfer five percent of its ownership to black shareholders, and that was reported in the Guardian as well. And after Mbeki backed down a little bit, Foresti dropped the case. So often what happens is, you know, I've always said, you get as much justice in this world as you can afford. The people with the deepest pockets a lot of times win these cases just by waiting them out. And, and, and so there isn't quick justice. So South Africa really wants to fight for a change. And so they are right now at the forefront of all these group, all these countries that are demanding fundamental change with this whole ISDS regimen. And, you know, you have to understand these, these, these arbitration tribunals have been referred to by corporate Europe observatory as red carpet courts because they are. I mean, think about it. The attorneys that are on these tribunal panels, they make thousands of dollars an hour per attorney. That's not counting any other billable hours they may send back to their corporation. I mean, to their to their uh, to their law firm. 
And at the end of the day, it's the taxpayers that are really footing the bill. This is legalized robbery. Keep in mind, these arbitration tribunals, ISDS decisions don't go to a legitimate court. They go to not only an arbitration tribunal, but the arbitration tribunal, everything's secretive. Okay? And it's only three arbitrators. So, you know, you've got the ISDS uh, proponents, and they're saying, like, Charles Browder, he's a leading lawyer. He he's, works a lot as an arbitrator. And Brower has claimed that, quote, ISDS guarantees that conflicts between investors and their host countries are heard in neutral forums, okay, instead of within the politicized national court system, end quote. My question to Charles Brower is, how did he prove the assumed neutrality of arbitration tribunals and the bias of legitimate courts? Aren't courts tasked with enforcing the law, and isn't the rule of law reflective of the politics of the day? So Broward keeps basically saying the same thing, and I suppose he gets away with it. The International Chamber of Commerce um, also is for ISDS, and this was as reported by ICC Austria, and they call it a legal safeguard that is, quote, actually vital for attracting investment. Okay. Why should high-priced investors receive more safeguards than the rest of us? Where in the actual rule of law does it say the rich are entitled to more safeguards, a.k.a. more privilege than the rest of us? Now, ISDS opponents see it as a one-way street, and I do too. It allows corporations to sue governments, but not vice versa. Now, this is the other part they don't tell you. These corporations, like this Taiwanese corporation, Formosa, can sue the U.S. government, but the government cannot countersue. And this is one of the factors that makes this entire process even more illegitimate. Why should corporations have that right, but governments deny the same right? Where is the equal justice under the law? There isn't. So big winners in ISDS, to go a little further, are not only the wealthier corporations, but they often represent wealthier nations. And you may as well just call this colonialism 2.0, because that's what it is. And we're going to be talking more and more about ISDS and how it affects. There's several cases right now on the books, uh, environmental justice cases that we just don't have time to deal with today. We will be dealing with it very soon, however. And I'm going to be talking about the specifics of these cases. So, but right now, just to get through this, um, a lot of these companies, like for instance, the Dutch have a record number, the Netherlands have a record number, like a second highest number of ISDS cases in the past decade. I think the U.S. is first. But often it says here they're not actually Dutch companies. They're called, they're basically letterbox companies. And I'm, I'm guessing just, um, you know, corporate fronts. So, but again, you know, we have these arbitration lawyers. There was quoted Theodore Posner, who's an arbitration lawyer, and Danielle Doza in 2013, quote, we are living in the golden age of investor state dispute settlement, end quote. And really, the only people that are really benefiting from this are the arbitration lawyers themselves and the corporations, all right? Um, they're not neutral forums, okay? So even 
an investor, investment arbitrator from the United States, George Kahali, referred to ISDS, quote, as the Wild West of international law, end quote. And that was from ISDSbilaterals.org. And the article was, let's see, the Wild West, ah, this thing's not working, the Wild West of international law and arbitration. Uh, claims of really just insane, unprecedented amounts are basically awarded on just really petty grounds, questionable grounds, dubious grounds, according to Kahali. And they're dubious because within the arbitration tribunal community, there's different arbitrators that interpret the same laws differently, but more importantly, in inconsistent ways, according to Kahali. Now, there's another critic, someone I take a little more seriously, Canadian professor Gus Van Harten, and he spoke to the myriad conflicts of interest in in the ISDS um, process itself. So on the website of the Center for International Governance Innovation, he wrote that there are, quote, myriad conflicts of interest at play within the ISDS sector, uh, end quote. And he goes on, lawyers can serve as arbitrators, which are basically judge and jury an executioner in one case, and then they can go to the next case and act as a legal advisor to a government or a corporation. So again, you can't switch gears like that. That's a clear conflict of interest. And according to Van Harten, he says, quote, this gives them an evident interest to encourage claims in order to grow ISDS as a business. Corporate giants and the super rich alongside the ISDS legal industry have been the main beneficiaries of ISDS by far, end quote. And that's according to Van Harten. And, you know, there have been countries that have pulled out of this, that have some common sense. And the host countries, uh, the president of Ecuador, the country that has been targeted in the past by 23 ISDS cases, uh, they basically formed a committee, an investigative committee. They looked into the net effect of investment treaties for their country. And the committee concluded as reported by Transnational Institute, that these treaties didn't provide any benefits for Ecuador. And basically they were, quote, nothing but risk and cost. And, you know, Ecuador didn't get any significantly higher investments from those countries where they had signed on to bilateral investment treaties, but they had been forced to pay $1.5 billion in ISDS claims as well as an additional $156 million in legal costs. So Ecuador wisely withdrew from every one of its investment treaties, and that's what needs to happen. Other nations have also withdrawn from this den of what I'll call pseudo-legal inequity. Okay? South Africa also withdrew from a number of its ISDS treaties. India and Indonesia have done the same. And even in wealthier Western countries, the criticism is mounting. All right, and that part of it was we were made aware of an ISDS clause being included in the TTIP, and that was the trade agreement that in 2019 was pending between the EU and the U.S. In fact, there were hundreds uh, of economists who signed an open letter to Congress, our U.S. Congress, that basically warned against the clause. And the economists called on the representatives to protect the rule of law and our nation's democratic institutions and sovereignty, end quote. 
and yet our politicians from both parties turned a deaf ear. This is hundreds of economists. They signed their names. Still nothing. So then there was a UN commission, and it was tasked with establishing rules regarding the rules of conduct for ISDS cases uh, called UNCITRAL, U-N-C-I-T-R-A-L. And it's an international body, the United Nations Commission on International Trade Law. Now, it was founded in 1966 as delegations from 60 UN countries. One of their responsibilities is to set up rules that determine how ISDS cases are run, how they're conducted. And in 2017, the commission began a series of... the idea was not only to list concerns, but also to come up with some possible reforms. And then the reforms were going to be accepted, hopefully, by the UN after they've been ratified by each national government. And they would apply to existing treaties. That is a big deal. Because a lot of these treaties we'd still be saddled with. We, this has been horrible. Um, one of the things, there's working group three, and they had to actually do the talks. And their mandate was that negotiations must be government-led, quote, with high input from all governments, end quote. In other words, the working group's mandates and negotiations, they cannot be dictated to by arbitration attorneys working for corporate. And Yun Sutral did speak with quite a few ISDS lawyers. Um, And that's because, according to this paper, those negotiations involve purely, what they call purely technical matters. Um, My problem with that is we're not talking about rocket science here. I can understand the need for technical complexity and complex jargon if you're dealing with new scientific concepts, new technological concepts. When you're talking about deals, the law should be transparent, not opaque. And it should be easily understood by all. And the only reason for that unnecessary complexity in the law is to obfuscate and obscure what's really there. We don't need any more of those aha moments where basically anybody's democracy is at the mercy of corporate attorneys. This has to stop. One of the reasons they did say that this has to be run by government is because, according to Australian lawyer Anthea Roberts, the worry, quote, was that arbitration practitioners would attempt to stall, thwart, or water down any reform attempts on the basis that they have vested, they have a vested financial interest in maintaining the status quo, end quote. That's why they wanted this to be government-led. So the discontent, though, on ISDS isn't shared by everybody. There's a lot of southern countries, you know, basically from South America, Central America, Africa, that have, they're tired of colonialism point 2.0, and I, I can't say I blame them. Multiple countries in the north, they like it because they, they benefit from it, so they're just offering, why don't we just modernize this illegitimate regimen in the first place? No, it's got to go. So, once again, the EU is one of the groups that wants to try and save this a little bit. Um, now, one of, the, one of the plans for improvement by this committee was a permanent international investment court 
um, kind of similar to the ICC and the Hague. And Europe has proposed this quite a few times with support from Canada. And the court would have a permanent pool of arbitrators that they would keep. And that would replace the arbitration tribunals that we now see in ISDS proceedings. I'm assuming that would take out some of the profit motive, but we don't really know that. Um, and then hopefully this would defer, this would basically deter any conflict of interest between arbitrators and make them more impartial. Um, I'm really not that optimistic about that. I just don't buy it. Um, Van Harten says, yes, it would be an improvement. Um, but he said, quote, however, it could go badly wrong if it ends up institutionalizing ISDS without addressing the key flaws, end quote. And Van Harten's concerns are also shared by the ITUC, and that's the world's largest trade union federation. And they issued a statement saying, quote, we cannot support a reform that would end up entrenching this parallel system of justice reserved only for foreign investors, end quote. And I agree with them. Okay. Um, there was another reform. There was an open letter published by 44 academics. And the idea is that countries would also be allowed to sue corporations under ISDS. Because right now, corporations can sue countries, but countries can't countersue. And they all, these academics also wanted to give third parties, and they listed victims of environmental damage and human rights violations by corporations the right to be heard in those ISDS cases. Because right now, they can set aside any law, whether it's environmental law, whether it's um, human rights law. Okay, a genocide may have occurred. Guess what? ISDS arbitration panels can set aside that anti-genocide law. Seriously, that's what we're dealing with here. There's more, but I think we're going to uh, basically whole debate though still been dominated by one major stakeholder, the ISDS lawyers, okay? In fact, um, public citizen did allege that the entire process has been, quote, hijacked by ISDS lawyers, and I agree with them. Um, so once again, this is what we're dealing with here. Um, and there's really no good coming out of this. So keep in mind, we have this situation where the people of Cancer Alley are basically mm -hmm. eventually going to probably, if, if a Biden administration decides, no Formosa, you can't build this plant, you have to clean up your mess, they're just going to go through that treaty and they will go to ISDS. And then the people of Cancer Alley, through their taxes, will wind up paying the fees. So just add insult to another injury. And this, this has to stop. Okay, um, the authors of this particular paper, Alexander Bunder is a researcher at the Dutch Platform, which is an independent platform for research journalism. And Gilles Mast is a researcher at the Dutch Platform, again, authentic journalistique, both of them. Um, they do good work, okay? So conclusion, Cancer Alley in Louisiana was created by the dumping of toxics en masse into the air, into the air, water, and eventually the food chain of communities there by corporations. Since the area is predominantly black and lower income, these corporations were allowed to pollute with relative legal impunity. In fact, 
Let's call this pollution what it truly is, a slow, premeditated poisoning of communities that are considered by politicians and banks and corporate to be acceptable collateral damage. Fuel is then added to the fire when groups ghostwriting the law, like ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, crafted bills that not only criminalized constitutionally protected dissent, but elevated minor, petty misdemeanors such as graffiti to the level of felonies requiring anywhere from 15 to 20 years incarceration. Additionally, foreign-owned corporations were allowed the right to sue local, state, and even federal governments seeking to protect their citizens from an entire host of injustices by the ISDS scheme, the Investor Settlement Dispute Resolution. ISDS is that legal contrivance created by multinational trade agreement by the multinational trade agreement industry, which allows foreign corporate entities such as Formosa Plastics the right to sue governments for alleged damages over lost profits, even if those profits came from illegal dumping of known carcinogens and breaking the law. They also can sue governments over alleged future profits. No proof, no real proofs required from the corporation for all practical purposes, and governments are not allowed to counter suit. The entire ISDS process is governed by panels of three arbitration attorneys who are often paid by the very industry they are tasked with judging. In short, ISDS is an arbitration court that has been granted the power to set aside any local, state, or federal laws that it desires. The residents of Cancer Alley had no chance against the ISDS regime. Or as Gus Van Harten said, investment arbitration lawyers are not just ambulance chasing. They are also creating the accidents because doubling as arbitrators, they often interpret the treaties very broadly. So it's a bit like ambulance chasing after your friend has put banana peels on the road, end quote. And that's Professor Gus Van Harten of Osgoode Hall Law School, Toronto. So that's the big story tonight. Now we're going to deal with our little our new section, which is, is this an environmental hero, zero, villain, or question mark? And we're going to talk about Trump's EPA chief, okay, and um, uh, Andrew Wheeler. And this is a story I saw on Desmog blog titled Clearing the PR Pollution that Clouds Climate Science. You know, we know the Trump administration despises any sort of science, but especially climate change. All right. They have no use for it. They, and, and, and really, the idea of global warming, I've maintained we have to stop calling it that. That may be scientifically correct, but it doesn't really, it, it, the average person just doesn't understand. We need to call it what it is, global climate devastation, because that's what it is. So Trump EPA chief lays out vision for agency critics, uh, for, lays out vision, agency critics warn would create a po- apocalyptic, devastated planet. And this was, it was on the smog blog, I stand corrected, but it was actually first published on Common Dream by Andrea Germanos. Okay. So I can admit when I made a mistake. So they're basically taking EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler to task, and they should. First of all, Wheeler is not an environmental scientist. He's not a scientist of any type. Um, You could argue he is not qualified 
to hold the position he has. Wheeler, in a former life, was a coal lobbyist. So not only does he have a major conflict of interest, but he has no practical experience. He doesn't know what he's doing, it's safe to say. And this was Friday, September 4th. He's basically being attacked because he gave a speech laying out his agency, his vision for the agency. And he did this speech at the Nixon Library in Southern California. And that commemorated the 50th anniversary of the EPA. And for some, some of you that don't realize, I think the Richard Nixon of all people, the EPA actually was established by the Nixon administration. So as bad as Nixon was, he did a, one or two things that were not bad. So the speech, Wheeler basically condemned any state efforts to push renewable energy over fossil fuels. Um, he also basically uh, disavowed any attempts to block new gas infrastructure pro projects. Keep in mind, he was a former coal lobbyist. What do lobbyists do for a living? They take money from big, from corporate interests to push what corporate wants. You know, what you could say theoretically is that a lobbyist is a political whore. Would not be inaccurate at all. So the EPA chief was quoted saying, quote, members of former administrations and progressives in Congress have elevated single issue advocacy, in many cases focused just on climate change, to virtue signal to foreign capital over the interests of communities within their own country, end quote. He goes on to say, quote, communities that deal with the worst pollution in this country and tend to be low income and minority face multiple environmental problems that need solving, uh, end quote. And then he talked about Trump's alleged opportunity zones plan, um, which multiple experts, according to New York Times, basically said it's just a, it's just a giveaway to the rich it's not an environmental justice remedy at all. It's just another giveaway, more graft. And I believe it. Okay, Wheeler's no friend to the environment at all. <clears throat> and so Wheeler then said, quote, it was very disappointing to see governors on the East Coast, such as New York Governor Cuomo, unilaterally block pipelines that would take natural gas from Pennsylvania to New York and New England. He went on to say, we helped President Trump successfully implement the new NEPA regulations with the goal of reviewing federal permits within two years, end quote. Except for one thing, the Trump administration attacked NEPA. NEPA is the, the bedrock of all environmental law here in the U.S. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so then Wheeler went on to say, he pushed this idea of, quote, a proposed rule that would remove onerous and expensive regulation of gene-edited plant protectants. And um, he went on to talk about the administration's science transparency rules. That's funny. And um, referring to what critics have called the secret science rule. Um, and the idea being that a secret science rule would limit scientific evidence that the EPA would consider during its investigations. And, you know, once again, whenever you have somebody who's supposed to be representing us and protecting the environment, and they talk about onerous regulations. <coughs> regulations are there for a reason. <coughs> if corporate had done what they were supposed to do, all these regs wouldn't have been necessary. Okay, throughout the whole history of the United States, 
I mean, think about it. We used to have slavery. We had child labor, Jim Crow, lynch mobs. And each and every time we needed those onerous laws, those onerous regulations, because the very the, the sector of the population that's very wealthy and the corporate sector have proven time and time again that they can't they're not worthy of the public's trust. And there's nothing wrong with having a law. <clears throat> so then there was a they quoted a former EPA official named Mustafa Santiago Ali. And he didn't like Wheeler's plans for environmental justice at all. To quote Mr. Ali, quote, every one of the actions the Trump administration has taken, either by weakening or rolling back basic air and water protections, has put environmental justice communities in greater harm. No one believes a Trump second term would value black and brown lives, end quote. And it's true. Oh, oh, excuse me. (coughs) Oh, boy. Sinuses. Then they quoted Britt Hartle, who is a government affairs director at Conservation Group Center for Biological Diversity, and he also said hogwash to Wheeler's claim. To quote Hartle, quote, Wheeler and the Trump administration have done grave and lasting damage to the EPA by elevating polluters and their profits above all else, and no slick speech can change that fact, end quote. And then Hartle went on to say he accused Wheeler um, of, quote, being, quote, ignorant of the immense environmental progress made over the last 50 years because Congress and President Nixon recognized when they established the EPA that no one has a right to pollute our air, water, or land, end quote. He went on to say, quote, if Wheeler's vision becomes real in the decades ahead, our children and grandchildren would inherit nothing less than an apocalyptic, devastated planet, end quote. And then Hartle went on to say, finally, quote, instead of following the proud partisan traditions of the EPA, Wheeler has decimated protections for our nation's wetlands and rivers, rolled back protections for toxic pollutants spewed into the air, rubber-stamped pesticides that cause brain damage in children, and utterly ignored the climate crisis. He is a horror show through and through, end quote. And I agree with every bit of that. We have a little time left. So after we look at this, it was painfully clear to me that Andrew Wheeler, he's definitely not an environmental hero, and I wouldn't call him a zero. He's an environmental villain. He is doing Trump's dirty work for him. This is all about this manic desire to rake up every last bit of profit that these greedy, insane people can get. That's all there is to it. They don't care who gets hurt. And this goes back to, and this is my own personal opinion, and I'm going to state it as opinion. This goes back to what is, in my opinion, the incredible arrogance of the very rich and their their political handmaidens, if you will. They they actually be the very rich start to believe their own lies, their own public relations. And and that's what it boils down to. And so now we have people in St. James Parish, Louisiana, also known as Cancer Alley. And they are, it isn't just Cancer Alley for them. It is death row. And this administration, this Trump administration, does not give a damn about communities of color, 
This Trump administration does not give a damn about lower-income people. This Trump administration does not give a damn about women, about the LGBTQ community, or about anyone who isn't rich. They're perfectly willing to give a certain amount of privilege to white Christian males as long as they can manipulate them in order to hold on to power. The GOP, and yes, along with some collaboration from corporate Democrats that are too cowardly to stand up and fight for us, but by and large, this GOP is systematically dismantling rule of law and turning it into privilege. This GOP of Trump is systematically dismantling democracy itself because they despise democracy. How dare those of us in the rabble demand our human rights, our right to live with dignity and integrity, our right to not only vote but have our votes counted, our right to medical care, and yes, our right to breathe air and not worry that we're going to come down with a toxic disease because Trump lied to the public about COVID. And now over 210,000 Americans are dead needlessly. The GOP of Trump is not only morally bankrupt, they are intellectually bereft. They have no ideas. All they know how to do is count the money. That's it. So if you value the lives of your children, if you value the lives of your grandchildren, and you want them to have a better future, and this is me politicizing it, I'll admit it, it's my opinion, then make sure you not only go and vote, but your vote is counted. And don't go away until your vote is counted. And make sure that we vote out of office, that we get rid of that neo-Nazi white supremacist once and for all and make him stand trial for his multiple crimes against humanity. And that includes Andrew Wheeler and the way they totally dismantled environmental law in this country. This is, this is not a practice run. You know, too many studies have said we have till 2030 to get this together. Otherwise, the devastation will be totally irreversible. Now, I know there are people that become very frightened and they want to stick their head in the sand. That won't protect your kids or grandkids. That won't protect your friends, other loved ones. The adults have not been running the show, and it's time that we did. Stand up. We need to find however we find our inner strength. And we need to start working together and helping each other. Disregard what the GOP of Trump has to say. Don't even engage those morons. And that means pushing for real environmental laws. That means getting rid of ISDS. That means pushing Trump out of office. That means demanding fairness in our legal system and fairness and justice for these people, especially in places like St. James Parish, because they have been, they've been damaged beyond belief. They have a human right to justice, and they have been denied that. 
So with those lasting thoughts, I will, we have a few minutes left. I'm going to end this program and we will be talking more about ISDS and specific environmental uh, cases. When you hear these cases, if your hair isn't already white like mine is, it will turn it white because the injustice is beyond belief. So once again, I hope that we find the strength and the integrity and the intrinsic morality to build a better community for all of our brothers and sisters. So good night, everyone. This was the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff, your host and producer. And um, read something informative. Good night.